That's music by Roger Doyle, who is considered the godfather of electronic music in Ireland. Definitely hearing the electronic tapestry that he weaves behind the boy soprano, wonderful boy soprano named Alex Smith. I was present at the world premiere of this opera, Heresy, in Dublin recently. And then, just a couple of days later, I was at a premiere of a new production of L'Amour de Loine by the Metropolitan Opera. That is an opera by Kaya Sariaho, and I was struck by the similarity between the two operas, both in terms of the staging, the production, I think the intention of the team, but also the music, and also this exploration of really, really grand themes. Welcome to Relevant Tones. I'm Seth Bosted. Today's program is called Love and Heresy. If you think about it, if opera has anything in common these days, it's that it's willing to tackle these big themes. I think of all of the art forms within classical music, opera is the one that most consistently goes after big themes, love, mythology, death, reincarnation, what have you. All of these things are present in operas, and they're certainly present in these two productions, L'Amour de Loin by Caio Sariaho and Heresy by Roger Doyle. We we'll have a great chance to travel to Dublin and be at the Project Arts Center for the exciting premiere of this new opera, Heresy, about Giordano Bruno, again, I think one of the most fascinating figures in history, and it was a fantastic experience. I also got to chat with Roger Doyle, the composer. One of the things I was really struck by in the production was the fact that there weren't any musicians anywhere to be seen. There has been comment of, you know, why isn't there live musicians, or more of them? Why, why isn't there more live musicians? But it's electronic music, so I don't want a piano there. I don't want a string trio there. You know, it's electronic music. There's a sound world that electronic music you know, pr- provides me with. Of course, with electronic sounds, you, you get only those sounds that are only possible using the new technology. There's no way that I would wish to try and have a string quartet sounding like electronic music or something. It's got to be the unique, abstracted sounds it works fantastically, I must say, to have the music coming through very high-quality sound system in the theatre. That's Roger Doyle talking about the use of electronics in his opera Heresy. Again, Giordano Bruno is a fascinating figure, an iconoclastic figure in many, many ways. Writing an opera about him can only have been a complicated endeavor, especially for the librettist and the director, Eric Fraud. Giordano Bruno was one of the most extreme, aggressive, iconoclastic, divisive and subversive characters in the history of thought. As we like to say, you know, he never crossed a bridge that he didn't burn. He, ne- he alienated almost everyone in his life. Without his martyrdom for, um, you know, and being burned at the stake by the, the Vatican in 1600, without that, you don't have a story. And then if you really want to have the drama, the drama has to have something to do with the crisis of faith. Or else, you know, you just have a person who's hell-bent on martyring themselves. And so we bring in characters from his books, like the goddess Sophia, the sorceress Kirke, which he has created new values for mythologically, and people like James Joyce. One of the strong functions of these characters, rather than just playing the drama, is their projections of his own conscious and unconscious, and they're there to help him make the decision to go forward and to meet his destiny. That's Eric Fraud, the director of Heresy, talking about the complexities in setting the tale of Giordano Bruno, such an enigmatic, fascinating figure in history. Or really, I guess he's talking about the complexities that they chose for themselves, because it could have been a very straightforward tale. Here's his life from start to finish, burned at the stake at the end. But instead, they decided to try to get into his mind. Why was he so inflexible in his thought? Why was he so willing to go to death almost 
cheerfully, or at least he didn't seem too upset about it for his ideas. And that's a very interesting concept. And I think that these moments when we're inside Bruno's head are among the most effective in the opera. I want to play a piece now called The Divine Sophia. Two of the figures that reappear in Bruno's writings are the sorceress Circe from the Odyssey and the Greek goddess of wisdom, Sophia. And so here is an embodiment of Sophia. And this is really from Bruno's writings. We're inside Bruno's head here. This is his worldview, but being espoused by a Greek goddess. Here is soprano Dare Halpin to sing.
That's an excerpt of The Divine Sophia from Heresy by Roger Doyle. And this, to me at least, is a key scene in the opera because this, when I was watching the opera, this is when I really got Giordano Bruno. I got his worldview a little bit. I started to understand what kind of fanatic he is, that he is the type of person who would go to his death rather than recant any of the things that he's said that, that don't jive with the cosmology and religion of the time. Some of the things that he could have said, he could have just said, yes, uh, God created the world, and, and he would have been off the hook, but he refused to do that. And it's a special kind of person who will go to his death rather than make a couple of, of quick little corrections in his writings. And it's here that we understand this. The Divine Sophia is the goddess of wisdom in Greek mythology. It's a figure that reappears often in Bruno's writings. And here we have the soprano, Der Halpen, singing wonderfully, espousing Bruno's worldview through this mythological figure. And I think it's a great moment in the opera. I'm featuring scenes from two recent productions that I was able to see within about three days of each other. The first is Heresy by Roger Doyle, and the second is L'Amour de Loine by Kaya Sariajo at the Metropolitan Opera. I was struck by many similarities between the operas in terms of production, music, grand themes, almost everything. I mean, in Heresy, you have this figure. He's a fanatic. He, he's willing to die for his beliefs. He has this, this cosmology, has these ideas, and he knows that they're right, or he believes that it is worth pursuing these ideas to find out if they're right. I mean, he was really an, an early scientist in that respect. But more to the point, there, there's this kind of wonderful remove. It happened hundreds of years ago. The director, Eric Fraud, has included writings of Bruno. We have mythological figures. I mean, there, there's this uh, amazing surreal quality to everything that you're seeing in the opera. And that certainly permeates L'Amour de Loin with Kaya Sariajo. It's absolutely surreal. Here you have another fanatic. Joffrey, the main character, is a fanatic, much like Bruno. In this case, though, he's a fanatic with love. His idealization is love. He is a troubadour and a prince. He has renounced worldly pleasures. He has decided that he wants to devote his life to finding pure love. And he hears from a pilgrim who has just returned from Lebanon that there is the ideal woman, exactly the woman that Joffrey has described in Tripoli. Joffrey is beside himself. He starts writing songs to her. She hears the songs and she decides she wants to meet him. He decides to take the journey across the ocean, but on the way he becomes more and more agonized. He's gonna now meet this ideal person made flesh. <laughs> There's no way that she can live up to his idealization. Of course, he becomes very, very nervous. When he meets her, they sing this very tender aria together and then he dies in her arms. And I think this is the only way that the opera could have ended because again, it's a platonic love. It's this idea of pure love, not physical beings, but in the spirit realm exactly like Bruno, where everything is happening almost in the spirit realm or at this remove. I had the chance to talk with Kaya Sariajo, the composer. We actually spoke in the audio booth at the Met about all of these things, the grand themes, but especially about her music and how it relates to the main characters. I don't think the music is romantic as such. It's, um, I created music for every person. And um, I needed to stretch my own musical uh, language, if you call it language, because I wanted them to be very audible. These different characters, these musics, they alternate through between Chauffre and Clemence through pil Pilgrim's music, which uh, the Pilgrim's music is music which has identity of all the time changing from one style to another between these two. And uh, that's why, for example, the pilgrim is a mezzo-soprano, because she's soprano and he's a baritone. And 
her voice is between the two, so that uh, her voice is overlapping with the two other voices. And, um, and then over, over the piece, little by little, th these materials are then superimposed and then little by little melted together. And when Chauffre and um, Clemence uh, finally meet, there is only one note left where they meet, and that's a E above the middle C. And um, that's, that's the whole process, which has taken uh, more than one and a half hour. So the, the musical material is extremely strictly planned and behaving very strictly. So um, in that sense, I don't think it's very romantic uh, point of view. That's composer Kaya Sariaho talking about the music for L'Amour de Loine and especially how it's been tailored to each individual character. Let's hear some of the opera. This is the overture, which in my humble opinion is romantic music. This is big kind of swoon music. It's so, so beautifully written for the orchestra. And we're going to go into Joffrey's introduction where we first meet him and he's talking about looking for the ideal love. Here's the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra conducted by Susanna Malaki and Eric Owen singing the role of Joffrey.
the opening of the opera L'Amour de Loin, a new production at the Metropolitan Opera. We heard Susanna Malachi, the Finnish conductor and the first female conductor ever at the Metropolitan Opera conducting the Metropolitan Orchestra. We heard the overture going into our first scene with Joffrey, the protagonist of the opera, where he's renouncing worldly pleasures and telling us exactly the kind of love that he's looking for, a pure love. You're listening to Relevant Tones, a show featuring the music of contemporary composers. Today's program is Love and Heresy, scenes from two operas, Heresy by Roger Doyle and L'Amour de Loin by Kaya Sariaho. To subscribe to our podcast for streaming versions of this and all previous episodes, or for a complete playlist of the music we featured on the program today, 
you can visit relevanttones.com. I was seduced about that idea of uh, like uh, zooming in microscopically to some uh, musical detail and see uh, what you can find when you zoom more and more. For example, if you zoom into the limit of uh, light and shadow, there is no line. You know, more you go, closer you go, more you see that there are all these shades, uh, but, but there is no direct light. As a composer, I'm composing all day long, uh, every day of the week, and I have all this material that inspires me, uh, and I play with the technology. Uh, I discover things as I'm working that surprise me, you know. Let's try what this bit of software does, you know, and then you, get, you hear the result, and, and you think, oh, that's just, you know, did I do that? We're hearing from composers Kaya Saryaho and Roger Doyle talking about the process of composing. It's always a very interesting subject, how somebody goes about creating anything, really, but especially a two-hour opera on today's program called Love and Heresy. I'm featuring excerpts from both operas, productions of which I saw back-to-back, almost about three days apart in Dublin and in New York. So we're featuring excerpts from Heresy by Roger Doyle, an opera about Giordano Bruno, and then we're also featuring excerpts from L'Amour de Loine, which is by Kayasari Aho and tells a kind of mythical tale of pure love. I'm going to play some music now from Heresy by Roger Doyle. This is a really fascinating part of the opera now. This is the night before the trial, and Bruno was locked up on charges of being a heretic, and this dragged on for years and years before he was finally burned at the stake in 1600. But uh, this is a visitation in his cell. He's having hallucinations, and all of the figures from his writings are talking to him. So we're going to hear from Circe and Sophia, as we have earlier in the program. But we're also going to hear from James Joyce. Actually, James Joyce had a pen name as a young man, which was Gordon Brown, which means Giordano Bruno. It's when he was a young actor in Dublin. Joyce was incredibly influenced by Giordano Bruno. And in fact, it was through James Joyce that Roger Doyle originally came to Bruno. So that's part of the reason why I want to feature this scene, but I also just think it's incredibly effective. So here we are in the prison cell of Giordano Bruno the night before he is burned alive at the stake. We're going to hear singers Amy Banks, Morgan Crowley, Robert Crowe, Catriona O'Leary, and Dare Halpin. Music of Roger Doyle.
That's music from Roger Doyle. This is a key scene from his opera, Heresy. We heard Amy Banks, Morgan Crowley, Robert Crowe, Catriona O'Leary, and Dare Halpin in a scene called The Cell. We are in the prison cell of Giordano Bruno the night before he is going to be burned at the stake. And in this scene, he's having hallucinations of a sort. He's seeing all the people that he's written about, or in the case of James Joyce, people who have written about him even many, many years after his death. Let's turn back now to L'Amour de Loin by Akaya Sariajo and this great scene now. After Joffrey hears about this great love, he writes these songs for Clemence, and the pilgrim now goes back across the ocean to Tripoli to tell Clemence about Joffrey. And again, what the director Robert LePage has done on the Metropolitan stage is to install tens of thousands of LED lights. That might sound annoying, but I, I found it to be absolutely mesmerizing, and that represents the ocean. And it was amazing the way that it could emulate the movement of the water rippling and, and moving across the stage. It was really an amazing sequence. We're going to hear Susanna Phillips as Clemence and Tamara Mumford as the Pilgrim. Once again, to conduct the Metropolitan Orchestra is Susanna Maliki. May 
That's music of Kaya Sariaho from her opera L'Amour de Loine. That is actually live audio from the Metropolitan Opera's production, which I saw about three days after I saw Roger Doyle's Heresy in Dublin. So it was an interesting experience for me, and I'm sharing excerpts from both operas on the program today called Love and Heresy. In that sequence of L'Amour de Loine, the pilgrim is heading back to Tripoli. Now she's going to tell Clemence of the great love that Joffrey has for her. I think it's a wonderfully effective scene in the opera. Let's go from that to Death by Fire. <laughs> I think it's fitting in the program called Love and Heresy that we would careen from one extreme to the other. This is from Heresy by Roger Doyle. This is the climactic scene where Bruno is burned at the stake.
That's the climactic scene of the opera Heresy by Roger Doyle. Here is the burning at the stake of Giordano Bruno, the inevitable conclusion, sort of like a Greek tragedy. There's no other way that this confrontation with history could have ended. It's an amazing scene, I think. Really, really wonderful use of electronics. And again, this is an electronic opera. The electronics are the instruments. A lot of commentators were wondering where the performers were, but that's not the concept that the composer had. Let's turn now to the climactic sequence of La Mort de Loyne. Here, Joffrey has arrived in Tripoli. He is ill. He has fallen ill on the boat. All of his trepidation has manifested itself in a physical sickness, and he's getting sicker and sicker. But there's this wonderful scene where he meets Clemence. They sing to each other. They are in love. It is, it is the apex of the opera. It is the apex of their love, because right after that, Joffrey succumbs to his sickness. Here are Eric Owen as Joffrey and Susanna Phillips as Clemence. Je suis le plus désespéré. 
Chacun de ses battements de paupières, chacun de ses frissements de lèvres, chacun de ses soupirs. Jamais je n'aurais dû combattre pour cette traversée. love the way that scene is handled. This is the climactic scene. This is where Joffrey finally meets Clemence, and it's understated the way Sariajo handles it. it. It is a big moment. They do love each other. They do sing, but when he dies, she's upset. She's very sad, but it's not this kind of tearing of the breast sort of thing. It's, it's a very different moment. It's tender. Even with his demise, it's a very beautiful moment. We heard Susanna Phillips as Clemence and Eric Owens as Joffrey. Let's move to the very end of the opera here. We have just a little bit of time in the program, and I wouldn't want you not to hear this. This is Clemence singing at the end, and she's decided that she's going to go into a convent. There's nothing else for her to do. She's going to devote her life to her great love. But what's interesting here is it's unclear for us if her great love refers to Joffrey or to God. Here, the librettist Amin Malouf has conflated spirituality with love, love and spirituality. I think that's a perfect way to end this program, Love and Heresy. Relevant Tones has been produced by Sarah Swinkless and additional production help provided by Rebecca Neidstedt. Relevant Tones is made possible by the generous support of the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music and the listener supporters of WFMT. I'm Seth Bostead from the WFMT Radio Network 
Chicago. Tu 